This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. A lot just occurred in that one offering right there. I mean, Dylan was making change out of the offering bucket. And the, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we, were, we were dragging Melinda to the altar by an envelope. I'm like, man. All right, anyway. Forgive us for being so laid back tonight. All right. We're going to talk tonight about a topic that I, I feel is, well, I mean, I know. It is one of the most serious topics in the Bible, and it's one that needs to be discussed on a very regular basis. And so I feel like we don't even discuss it enough. And the topic tonight is this. It's forgiveness. Talking about forgiveness. Now, here's Sunday night. We had I, I, what I felt was a pretty solid time together. Uh, we talked about offended and, and, uh, and, and how dangerous it is to be a person that is constantly offended about things. Because, you know, I'm just going to rehash Sunday night a little bit. It's online if you want to listen to it. But no doubt about it, we live in a society and generation of some very sensitive people. Have you noticed how sensitive people are these days? I mean, you, anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. I mean, you go out and, and you know, you can tell somebody good morning and you're assuming I'm having a good morning. How dare you? You know, I mean, it's as crazy as that, that people are just looking for something to be offended about. And some people are not happy unless they're unhappy. That's I mean, their 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 comfort zone is when they're offended. Their comfort zone, I mean, that's as bizarre as that sounds. I know some people that are not comfortable in life unless they have something to be offended about and something to be upset about. That's just their norm. And so if there's a time where they don't have any drama going on, they start to get uncomfortable. Like, man, I better find someone, get into it with somebody. I mean, I, I, I've been getting along with people a whole week now. This is crazy. And, and I, it's wrong, and that's not how a Christian is supposed to live. And so we talked about being offended and how that will, I mean, that, that, that's a terrible way to live your life, okay? We, we, we're not going to re-preach that. But tonight, we're going to talk about the next step that goes along with being offended, and that is holding on to unforgiveness. Now, there's a lot that Scripture has to say about unforgiveness because it's something that every person in the world has to deal with. Seven billion people on this planet, seven billion people dealing with unforgiveness issues. You are not unique. You are not the only one. Everybody in this room, everybody in this town, everybody on this planet has somebody that they have to forgive and somebody that they just straight up don't like very much. Can I get an amen? They're there. Okay. We're not, we're not, you know, we're just keeping it real for a minute. So I want to show you first Peter chapter two. Let's look at first Peter two. All right. We'll get there. Give it time, guys. Get it warmed up. Back in Indiana growing up, you, you know, it was so cold you had to go and start your car like a half an hour before you'd leave and, you know, scrape the ice off and spray your doors down with de-icer. And, uh, you know, hey, some of you guys seem like you're a little frozen tonight, so we'll, we'll wake you up. But First Peter, First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 23. Now, verse 24 is a very well-known verse in this church because it says, By Jesus' stripes... We are healed. And that's probably the first Bible verse that I ever knew is 1 Peter 2.24. I've known that my whole life. But we're going to look here at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, because I think the example that Jesus sets right here is something that every single person in this room better listen to tonight. 1 Peter 2, verse 23, it says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted. 
nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Man, I love that verse. It says he didn't even retaliate when he was insulted. And I know so many people are like, oh man, I'm not going to let that guy have the last word. Are you serious? No way. I, I, I don't have to take that. And if you're a person that always has to have the last word, if you're a person that has to always retaliate, and you can never just let something go, you can never be the bigger man, the bigger woman, and just walk away and say, it's okay, they can have the last word, it's all right. You know, th- then you're never going to be what Jesus wants you to be in your life. You are always going to be struggling and you are always going to have issues because Jesus in the midst of of all this stuff I mean he went through more than what you've gone through can you agree with that statement he went through more I mean nobody's ever killed me I've had people insult me and say things and and all this stuff but Jesus literally I mean they're they're grabbing his beard and yanking it out they're they're slapping him they're beating him they're insulting him with his mom and his and his friends and his family right there and they're all seeing this humiliation and he didn't say a word Now Isaiah chapter 53 we're not turning there but you can write this down Isaiah 53 is an incredible chapter because it's called a messianic prophecy Isaiah prophesied in extremely accurate detail the crucifixion of Jesus about a thousand years before Jesus was ever even born. And it says he was led as a sheep is led to the slaughter. And it says when he was insulted and when they said things against him, he didn't even say a word. He just kept silent. They're accusing him of all these things. You did this. You are a you and and all this stuff. And Jesus didn't say a word didn't even defend himself. Now, there's a time and a place for justice. There's a time and a place to defend yourself. There's a time and a place for that. But I feel and I fear that way too often, even as Christians, we're exactly just like the rest of the world is when it comes to this type of stuff. You always have to have the last word. You always, if they called you this, then you're going to call them two names. If they hit you once, you're going to hit them twice. If they did this, you're going to do that. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But what did Jesus say when it comes to that? He says that was the old covenant. That was, that was, Moses said that was fine. But I say to you, love your neighbor. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And, and, and he said to turn the other cheek if someone slaps you on one cheek. If someone says, carry my stuff the mile, go the extra mile and carry it too. This is the covenant and this is what we live under. These are our instructions from Jesus. So you have got to get past always having to have the last word. You have got to get over the fact that sometimes you've just got to walk away and let it go and you cannot hold on to unforgiveness because Jesus in this situation didn't say a word. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And I can tell you this, somebody that treats God's children wrong, their day is coming. There will be a day of reckoning where they will be dealt with and they will be judged by God. But I don't need to help God do his job, do I? Do you? Someone, someone is, is, is honest to goodness, wrong, doing wrong against you. They're absolutely doing wrong against you. That's God's job to deal with that. And someday they will answer to God for it. God is a God of justice. There will be a price to pay and they will be dealt with. But God doesn't need my help in dealing out the punishment. God does not need my help in deciding what to do with them. I can just say, I'm going to leave this in the hands of God 
who always judges fairly, according to first Peter two twenty three. Amen. All right. So three points for you tonight. I don't have a neat, cute little PowerPoint. So you're going to have to go old school and just actually pay attention. Number one, you've been forgiven. So you owe it to others. Number one, you have been forgiven. Is anyone here that's been forgiven by Jesus? Okay, I know I have. I've done some stupid things. And Jesus has forgiven me every single time. So when somebody else does something stupid, I'm required to forgive them. When somebody else wrongs me, I'm required to forgive them. But I want to show you a story here in Matthew chapter 18. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Who's having a good time? Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at this story here that Jesus told. It's called the parable of the unforgiving debtor, the parable of the unforgiving debtor. And Jesus tells this story. And uh, and and man, I th- this just really it hits all of us. But Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21, I think I'll read the whole thing. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? I don't know, maybe seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. I mean, Peter didn't see that one coming. He was pretty proud of himself. Like, what what would you say if I forgave someone seven times, Jesus? And Jesus is like, I'm not impressed. I don't say seven times. I say 70 times seven, Peter. And and I mean, I think Peter was blown away. Like, what? I mean, he did not see that one coming. But look, so Jesus, as he always does so beautifully, breaks into a story. He's like, oh, this reminds me of a story. And so here we go. Therefore... The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed owned to pay the debt. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have a pretty hard time earning money if I was in prison and my wife and my children and everything else I owned was sold. I mean, how are you supposed to pay it? Basically, what this is saying is it was impossible for this man to be forgiven. It was impossible for this man to overcome these odds. But look at this. Verse 26. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Can you imagine? You just owed millions of dollars, and the person you owed it to said, You know what? It's water under the bridge, man. Forget about it. You don't owe me a penny. And on top of that, I'm going to get out of jail. You, You can get out of jail. You can have your wife and your kids back and all your stuff. If you were restored to this type of a level... I think that I mean, I mean, Syria, I, I would be here on Sunday night giving a Sunday night testimony. Amen. Where's my Sunday nighters at? You know what I'm talking about. I would be all over the Internet. I would be all over everywhere telling what God had done. And I believe it would make me a more generous and forgiving person. Would you say so? I mean, if, if you had been forgiven of something like this, you would think you would want to pass it on. But look at this. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for just a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. 
he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. That is wicked. That's evil. You've just been forgiven of millions of dollars. And then someone owes you, I mean, straight up pennies compared to what you did and what you owed. And you won't even give this guy a chance. How wicked and evil is this? Verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he'd forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to be prison to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Look at that story. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 35. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Woo! Man, a truth bomb just went off at High Desert Word Center. Listen to me. Do you think Jesus takes the topic of forgiveness seriously? Jesus just tells this awful story that probably has the people in the crowd, I mean, spitting mad. They're ready to go fight. And he says, yeah, well, that's exactly what God the Father will do to any of you who forgive, to truly forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. So that tells me that there must be more than one type of forgiveness. There must be a false kind where you just say, yeah, I forgive him, but I'll never forget. That's not forgiveness. Listen, he said you've got to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart or else it will bring torture. I'm not making this stuff up. He says it will bring torture into your life and you will be a captive. You will be a prisoner until you come to the place of forgiving your brothers and sisters from the heart. And so I can tell you this much, unforgiveness will hold a person in prison. I know people that, that they are straight up prisoners to unforgiveness. They're, they're, they're held captive by it, man. It holds them back from doing things in their life that they could be doing because they're straight up a prisoner. Now let's look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. I'm, I'm going to attempt, as I always do on Wednesday night, I'm going to attempt to get in several verses here. So let's just see what we can do here. Colossians chapter 3. It's hard on Wednesday nights, man. I've got, got that clock on the wall and it keeps waving at me the whole time. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. This is a verse that everybody should know. Every Christian should know Colossians 3.13. Thou shalt highlight this in your Bible. Thou shalt put a little star beside it. And if you have several pins, thou shalt make a little rainbow on the other side. Just to you really stand out. I mean, this is a good one. Colossians 3, verse 13, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, that first line right there, that always gets, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults. That means cut people some slack. Because I know some people... They don't cut anybody any slack. I mean, they, they, they expect perfection out of 
everybody around them. I mean, if, if, if someone in the family slips up, that no, no, there's no room for, no, no, no. You should have done it right. No, absolutely not. And if that's the way you treat your children, that's not a good way to treat your children, okay? Let's just get real. We gotta be, as parents, we gotta be strict. I get all that. But a parent that just doesn't make any, just cuts no slack, no understanding whatsoever, Listen, I, I grew up with a lot of people like that, and they ran from church and their family. As soon as they turned 18, they couldn't wait to get away. So there's a, there's definitely, I mean, parents, we got to be strict, and we get, but, but if you don't ever, I mean, ever make any allowance, and, and remember that at one point you were 16, at one point you were 12, one time you were 8 and did some stupid stuff, but you're, you, there's just no room for your kid to do it. Listen, don't be like that. That's going to bite you in the butt in the end, all right? Anyway. So it says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. That's a pretty bold thing to say right there. To to anyone? Why didn't you just say, forgive those who offend you in a minor manner? If if it was just a minor offense, forgive them. But anyone else, don't forgive them. No, it says, forgive anyone who offends you. Well, why do I have to forgive anyone who offends me, Jesus? Well, because Jesus forgave me and he continues to forgive me because I continue to do stupid things and I'm not the only one we all continue to sin we all continue to make mistakes none of us are perfect we all continue to fall short of the glory of God every single day but Jesus is always right there in first John 1 9 what's it say church if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we confess them. And so if Jesus is in the business of continually forgiving, of giving another chance, of not giving up on people, then apparently I'm held to the same standard that Jesus walks in when it comes to forgiveness. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty deep right there. That the same standard and measure of forgiveness that Jesus gave to, showed to me, I'm required to walk in that exact same standard and to forgive other people when they don't deserve it, even if they were super mean, even if I don't like them, I'm still required to forgive. Why? Because I was shown that level of forgiveness myself. And there's a hundred verses coming to my mind right now that we could use for that, but, but we got to keep moving here. So number one, you've been forgiven. So you owe it to others. Number two, why should you walk in forgiveness? Because you need your faith to work. You need your faith to work. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Galatians 5, verse 6 in the King James Version. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. As a Christian, you've got to know this, that how is it that your prayers get answered? Okay, well, there's a couple of ingredients here. There's the power of God, okay? But what else does it take for your prayers to get answered? Faith. It takes faith for your prayers to get answered. I mean, God supplies the power. That's on His end. Your end is to do the believing and to have the faith. Okay, so you've got, when it comes to answered prayer, God's got His part. 
you've got your part to play too, all right? So thank God I don't have to provide the power on my own because I couldn't have healed cancer when I had that. Thank God that I, you know, I don't have to provide the power when it comes to laying hands on the sick or praying for someone's marriage or whatever the case is. The power part isn't up to me. I just got to do the believing. Amen. And so God's got his part. I've got my part. Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. But look at this last part. But faith which worketh by love. But faith which works by love. Love. How does your faith work? Your faith works by love. I mean, if we could truly get a revelation of this right here, I think we'd start seeing prayers answered left and right all over the place. Because somebody that is holding on to unforgiveness, somebody that, that's holding on to bitterness, and, and somebody that does not love their brothers and sisters, that does not love their neighbor as themselves, I mean, there is a very slim chance that they're going to be getting very many prayers answered. Why? Because their faith won't work. And faith works by love. Love is the fuel that makes faith drive. You know, I think about it this way. Now, you know, we've said this, but I don't know a lot about cars. You know, I know a few things. I mean, I can change the wiper fluid and I, I can put windshield wipers on and stuff like that. But I, I do know this much. The, the, the one thing that I do know is that no matter how amazing the car is, okay? I saw, what, a Maserati this morning on my way to Victorville. I'm like, that's pretty cool, but I'm getting my Mazda. You know what I mean? My Mazda 5. Yeah. So listen to a little preacher. I was getting into the zone. But this guy smoked me anyway. So, but I do know this much, that as amazing as that car was and all this stuff, cars worketh by fuel. You could have an amazing, I mean, $500,000 car. And it can be incredible. But if there's no gas in the tank, it doesn't matter, man. You ain't going nowhere, Jack. My first car was a 1980 Chevette. Okay? It had three out of four cylinders functioning. It was incredible. And it would backfire if I would let go of the accelerator on the freeway. It sounded like a shotgun. I thought, I thought Al-Qaeda was like behind me one time. I I let go and I, boom! And everyone on the freeway just swerved. It was, it was crazy. But this car was a total piece of junk. But I know this much, even though my Chevette was a piece of junk and people laughed at me and pointed and said rude things, I forgave them, I forgave them, I wasn't offended, but I could still be an amazing sports car if it didn't have fuel. And there's a lot of, I mean, people, they look like they've got it all together. They may have the big house, they may have, you know, it may seem on the outside like they're fancy and they've got it all together. But listen... If they're not walking in love, if they're not forgiving, if they're haters and, 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 and mean and nasty, listen, when it comes time to push down on the accelerator, when they're in a tight spot, when they're in a bad place and they go to push down on it and get out of there, nothing's gonna happen. They may blame God, they'll probably blame people around them, but if they were to get super honest about it, their faith isn't working because they don't love other people. They don't forgive other people and their prayers don't get answered. They blame God. They blame their brothers and sisters. They blame their neighbor. But the real issue is their heart. It's their unforgiveness. I've told this many times, but I went to the Indy 500 in 2006. My brother Josh scored some free tickets. 
Anyway, that's a whole other story. So, but I had some friends with me from Holland. I went to these, these, these good buddies of mine. They're going to school with me in Oklahoma, but they were here from Holland. And they're super into racing. Now, I grew up 30 miles from, you know, the Indy 500, the Indianapolis 500. It's the, you know, the, the mecca of racing if you're into that. I'm not, but anyway. So we finally get these tickets one year. We're right on, on turn number four. I mean, right, I, it was incredible. These guys are going 220, 230 miles an hour. You can't see it if you're just looking straight ahead. You have to be looking in front of the track that way to even see the car. It's so fast. It is so loud. I loved it. But at the last turn, this is, I went to this race. It was one of the closest finishes in Indy 500 history. This guy, Marco Andretti, one of the grandsons of the famous Andretti family, he didn't fuel up because he, this other guy was so close and he was, it was too risky. So the very last turn, they're, it's coming down to the wire and Sam Hornish Jr., this other racer, he's get, they're, they're so close, they're so close and they finish. And what happened was Andretti had a pretty good lead but he ran out of gas right towards the finish line. And even though the other guy was a little ways back, it was like, I mean, a hundredth of a second. He ended up beating him because his car ran out of gas. And the moment when he needed it most, it couldn't get the job done. And there's a lot of people that they come down to the, it's coming down to the wire. It's coming down to the finish line. They're right there, almost there. And guess what? There's nothing left in the tank because faith works by love. And they end up not winning. They end up not getting what Jesus had for them. That shouldn't be the case with us. We should be walking in love and forgiveness. And so I'll, I'll just flat out say it. If you're in unforgiveness, your prayers are not going to get answered. And I mean that we've just got to realize that. And I understand that forgiveness is more than just saying, I forgive you. That's the first step. That's a good thing to do. But I realize that sometimes there's some deep-seated issues that have to be overcome, and it's a process. But listen to me. You better start that process sooner rather than later. You better start that process sooner rather than later. Start getting help with that. Start asking God to help you to forgive. And I realize it may take a minute, but you need to start working on that. Because we have to realize that our battles in life, they're not physical. Write this down. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6.12 We wrestle not against flesh. What does that mean? That means we aren't fighting. Our war in life isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. For we wrestle, we fight against, it says, principalities and powers. That means the devil, the demons, the evil spirits. And so many people, <laughs> there are people that are Christians that have been saved for many, many years, and they still think that their problems are other human beings. I know, it's hard to believe, isn't it? There are people that have been saved for 50 years, and they still think their issues are from other human beings. They think if this guy would just leave, then everything would be fine. They think if this guy would just take a hike, then all everything would be... Listen, no. The issue is the unseen world. Principalities and powers. Mights and dominions, it says. Second Corinthians says the weapons of our warfare are not 
carnal. What does that mean? They're not physical. You can't shoot the devil with a gun. If you could, I would have done that years ago and we'd all be okay now. We'd be having a party. Okay, believe me. I would, I would, but you can't do that because the weapons of our warfare are not physical. But it says they're mighty for pulling down strongholds. What are strongholds, man? Strongholds are when the devil just absolutely has control of your life in some area. There's a stronghold there, and you're supposed to take authority over it and do something about it. But you're too busy thinking that this guy over here is your issue. You're trying to fight him. You're trying to retaliate against another human, thinking that that will actually fix your issues in life. It never will. Because people, if you want to get down to it, are not the real problem. Now, I know a whole lot of people that are super good at letting the devil use them. There's some people that are excellent. They're experts at being, you know, the devil can just come and really just rain all over your parade, man. They can just come in and absolutely scramble your eggs before the day ever even starts. But listen to me. That's just a decoy. You have got to get to the point where you can see what's really going on. When I worked at FedEx, I had this guy that, man, he made work miserable for me. He was nasty. I mean, perverted, said nasty, disgusting things every day. And he, the funniest thing he had ever heard was that I was getting married and I had not had sex with this girl yet. He, he, he made, laugh every day. I'd walk into work. He'd make fun of me because I was marrying a girl that I hadn't slept with and that I was going to be getting married and I was still a virgin. And he just thought that was the funniest thing he had ever heard. And he'd make fun of me in front of the whole group. And after a while, it did start to get pretty annoying. And so, you know, I'm just driving into work. Man, I wish that guy would leave me alone today. And, and finally it hit me. Listen. You're mad at, you know, you're, you're seeing the fruit, but you got to get to the root. I was getting mad at the fruit, but, but what I needed to do was get to the root of the problem. This moron was being used by the devil. And so I, on the way to work, I said, you know what? Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus from working through this guy. I declare right now that today he is going to be absolutely nice. And then on top of that, I'm going to witness to him and he's going to come to the Lord. And so I confess that I get to work. The guy was nice. The guy was nice. And, and I mean, and, and, and out of nowhere, this guy like became my best friend for the rest of the time that I worked there. And I'm not making any, he never again said anything stupid to me. And, and I, I, what, what, what happened? Well, I got to the root of the problem. I realized that he was just yielding to the wrong forces and the devil was using him like a puppet to absolutely ruin me, man. And I took care of it and I never had a problem with this guy again. And I loved him. We were like best friends at work. And so you have to realize that people aren't the problem. You were never promised that you were going to win all these physical warfares. You were promised that you could win spiritual warfare. Okay? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You were never promised that if you're going to go out fighting people all the time that you're going to win. Yeah, good luck. I mean, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Who knows? You're on your own at that point. All I know is whenever I hold on to unforgiveness, I've taken the situation out of God's hands and put it into my own. Now I'm on my own. If you're going to be walking bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and rage and anger and all these nasty things, listen... At that point, it's all on you. Whatever happens, happens. Good luck. Have fun. But you've taken God out of the equation. And I know this much. I don't want to do that. I want Jesus 
involved in every second of my life. Amen. So many verses. Oh, Romans 12. We're going to attempt this. Romans 12. Come on. Romans 12. Let's do this. Let's do it. Who's got time? Romans 12. But I do have a brilliant way of getting back at those that have upset you. Because Jesus did give us at least one way to retaliate. It involves burning coals of shame on people's heads. Yes. Amen. You're like, sweet, burning coals of... I knew I liked this church. Yes. I'm telling you now. You have permission to heap burning coals of shame on your enemy's head. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 19. In New Living Translation. The Apostle Paul, his dear sweet soul, writes, Dear friends, never take revenge. No. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say... I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And God can pay people back a whole lot better than you can. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame upon their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And so, can you imagine what it would do to somebody? They come in and cuss you out. And blow up at you and and, and, and and they say a yo mama joke, right, to your face. And you say, you know what? Have a drink. I went out and I, I got some coffee this morning. I just want, I got one for you too. God bless you. Have a great day. Do you realize what that's going to do to them? Oh man, that, that, I, I've done this type of thing. To be, that is the best feeling in the world. You know, because, listen, you realize how shameful and stupid that makes somebody look if they just blew up on you and you totally blessed them when they cursed you? Oh, that'll take people off. And it's hilarious to do. But I'm telling you this. It heaps burning coals of shame on their head. And after a while, if you continue to love somebody that's rude to you, you bless them, you pray for them, after a while, it cracks through that hardened heart. And after a while, they're like, man, what am I doing? Well, I'm wrong. I am wrong. Especially if it's a, someone that else that's a Christian or at least claims to be, okay? Now, someone that's unsaved, well, they're a whole other story. But you should still do this for sure, okay? You still totally do the burning coal thing. It's a great tactic that we were given. But, but I mean, somebody, especially a Christian brother or sister, I mean, just go the extra mile, man. Love them. And every time they try to, to try to uh, just bring in some strife and, and, and division, hit them with the kindness, man. Kill them with kindness, as it says, all right? And so point number three is forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiveness will bring freedom into your life. This is, again, a topic that we all have to deal with. And, 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 man, we need to preach on forgiveness several times a year. Several times a year we've got to hear this. But let's look at the ultimate example of forgiveness. Luke chapter 23. Let's see what Jesus did. Luke chapter 23. And so here we have Jesus right here at the end of it all. He's been beaten. He's been ripped apart. When Isaiah prophesied about Jesus, he said that he was going to be beaten so brutally that you wouldn't recognize that he was a human being. 
That's what Isaiah had to say about it. And Isaiah was insanely accurate about every prophecy. And so Isaiah said, when this Savior comes, they're going to beat him to the point that he will not be recognizable as a human being. And so, I mean, I just imagine his eyes and everything just ripped. I mean, it was, Jesus was a nasty mess right here. And so, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he's up here on the cross. He's, it's embarrassing, man. This is a place for criminals to die, not somebody that's a good person. Here he's up here with these thieves and everything else. And he's getting ready to die. But what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus, in this moment, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I mean, if Jesus could forgive at that moment... I can forgive what people have done to me. You can forgive. And I'm not making light of if you've been wronged. I don't make light of that, okay? I get it. There are legit pains that we go through and that you have gone through. I get that. But it does not exempt you from forgiveness. There's just no loopholes. I've looked. There are no loopholes in the Scripture that say it's okay if they were super bad to you. It's okay if they did this, 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 then you don't have to forgive. No. All I can read, everything I've said, every scripture that I find says forgive everyone who offends you. It says if you don't forgive them, then your Father in Heaven won't forgive you. And Jesus, in this moment, says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Wow. If Jesus could do it, we have to do it too. If we're going to walk in the fullness of God's blessing, the only way to get there is through forgiveness. So unforgiveness, it makes you a slave. It holds you in slavery. Second Peter 2.19 says you are a slave to whatever controls you. And I know some people that are controlled by their unforgiveness. They won't go to some places. They won't do some activity. They, they, they won't do things. They, it, it, it holds them in slavery. It holds them in prison because it controls them. And I can say this much. I don't want anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ controlling my life. And I'm sure, as anything in this world, not going to let the devil and a stronghold and bondage control my life. And so... You can write this down. We don't have to turn there. But the last thing I'll say is this. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Well, I know this much. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's forgiveness. Because that's one of the biggest attributes that the Spirit of the Lord offers, that God offers, is forgiveness. And it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, 2 Corinthians 3.17 There is freedom. And so, just to bring it all to a head here tonight, is this. You can't afford the price that unforgiveness is going to cost you. It's going to cost more than you want to pay in the end. It's going to steal from you. It's going to stop your prayers from getting answered. And you are not going to live the life that God intended for you to live. And so, I'm encouraging all of us tonight that even if it's a little bit harder than just saying, I I forgive them, you need to talk to God 
and get the ball rolling on this forgiveness issue where you can get to the place where you can absolutely look at that person and say, you know what? I'm not mad at them anymore. I'm over it. I'm over it finally. I forgive them. and, And I just, I wish for God's best in their life. And it is possible to get to that place. You need to get the ball rolling on that. You need to get it going. Because until you have forgiveness in operation, you are not going to live the life that God has for you. Amen? And so let's work on this forgiveness thing and watch what God can do in our lives. Amen? Let's go ahead. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.